we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Uh, man, we want to welcome you. If you're here for the very first time, you came at a great time. Uh, I hope, hope by now you figured out we love kids around here. Uh, you, may, you can be seated, uh, or you can just stand. Just keep on standing. That's okay by me. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see you can stand the longest, okay? Uh, man, you came at a great weekend. I hope by now you figured out we love kids. Man, God just blessed this, this church. We have water fountains that people drink out of, and they have babies two weeks later. I mean, that, that's, that's how much we love kids. So uh, it's just a great place to come if you're having that challenge. I would just tell you, this kind of happens when you walk in around here. But uh, uh, thank you for being here. If you're online, you joined us, you found us somewhere just kind of magically. You found us on YouTube or uh, live stream or on Facebook, and you're allowing us to worship with you. Uh, from a great distance, perhaps, or maybe even our own backyard. Maybe you're testing, you're, look, you're testing, maybe you're looking for a place to go on Easter, and you thought, gosh, I'm going to go look at this place online first to be kind of safe. Hey, you're welcome here, uh, and thank you for trying this out. And if you're here this morning, the, the very same thing. And we hope you will stop by the Welcome Center, uh, the Connection Point, excuse me, and just kind of find a gift for us to kind of say hello and, and thank you for coming. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up to John chapter 8. We're wrapping up a message series here this morning. I know some of you are wondering about our Ukraine friends. They're in the house this morning somewhere. Uh, Andrew and Jane and Vlot are here. They've had a great week, and you've been more than a blessing to them. And we're going to kind of give you a report on that uh, here soon. We're seeking God's direction. What else does he want us to do? Not only over there, but here. Uh, but, man, you've, you've been a blessing to them. And uh, we'll, we'll be communicating that to you. Uh, very, very soon. Uh, but we're about to open up God's word, and so I think it's appropriate we begin in prayer again, please. God, here we are again. We're, we're gathered in this place as your children. We're your daughters and your sons. And God, m- many of us, we're just got grown-up bodies, but on the inside of us, we're little kids. And we have so many insecurities. We have so many unresolved issues in our life, God, and they come out just at the most inopportune time. And sometimes, God, we adults, we act so childish and not necessarily in a good way. And God, some of us as your children, we we just had these things in our life we cannot overcome on our own. We cannot push through. There's relationships that are never been resolved. And we just got stuff. So we open up your word this morning, God, just again, praying for a miracle, praying for the beginning of a new start. So we pray, God, that you would touch us in our souls, those places in our lives that nobody can really touch but you, no human being, no no man, no woman, but only that you can teach by your spirit. And would you please begin to heal? And God, before we even get into this this morning, again, we have to pause and ask that by your spirit, you would touch the souls of the women and men in positions of leadership in Ukraine, in Russia, in Poland, and the surrounding nations. And we pray, God, they would come face to face with Jesus. We are not going to relentlessly ask, God, that you would bring somebody into their circle of influence that would help them look into the mirror and see the truth about themselves. And they would see the truth about Jesus. And they would see the truth of what they are doing and the chaos and destruction and their killing and the pride and the power 
and at what it is doing to your children and to their brothers and sisters because, God, we are all your kids. And our hearts just break, God, for this continued war and destruction. And so we pray for peace. And we pray you would show us continually, God, how we can be a part of the solution, whatever that may be. But now, God, we turn our hearts to here, to those that are online, those that are in the bridge, those who are in the sanctuary, and those who are in the center right now, that you would speak and touch to us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll begin reading at John chapter 8, beginning at verse 2. If you'd like to follow along with me, you can use your hard notes and your notes online there. Excuse me, on the app, however you so choose. At dawn, chapter 8, verse 2, Gospel of John. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped and wrote on the ground. And those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Then Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Uh, This message this morning, it is a courtroom message. This is a courtroom story. This message is for anyone who has ever done anything wrong or who has ever felt guilty. Either of those or both. If you do wrong things and you never feel guilty, you may be a psychopath. And this message is for you. If you're someone who feels guilty all the time, even when you do not do wrong things, you may be neurotic. And this message is for you. And if you're someone who does wrong things and you feel guilty, you might be normal. And this message is for you. But if you are somebody who never does wrong things and you never feel guilty, you might be a neurotic psychopath. (laughs) And this message is really for you because you might be a serial killer and you don't even know it. (laughs) This is a courtroom story. This is a story, this is a message about law and guilt, about grace, judgment, and mercy. This is a story about a woman who did something horribly wrong. And she felt terribly guilty, remorseful, and shameful. This is a story about a group of men who did something equally terrible 
but they felt no guilt or no remorse. This is a story about a man named Jesus. Now, no doubt the woman in this story is asking herself, how did I end up here? We know she was a married woman by the, by the Old Testament text that's referred to right here, the law text, that this is dealing with someone who is married. And so we know that this woman at one time, she dreamed about the married life. She dreamed about a husband that would love her, that would probably worship with her, that would pray with her. She dreamed about having children, raising a family, carving out a niche in the world, making friends, having a family, doing all the things that families do. But somewhere along the line, the marriage went wrong. Expectations weren't met, disappointments. Maybe it was the husband, maybe it was the woman. If we're going to be truthful, it's probably a little bit of both. And somewhere along the line, she meets this man. And he seemed to notice her. He seemed to want to listen to her when she spoke. He seemed to care. And if you're someone with an empty heart, if you're someone with a lonely heart, that's a powerful combination that very kind of, you feel drawn in and it starts out innocent these sort of things always start out innocent but then she crossed the line we don't know exactly what the line was maybe it was a touch that lingered a little bit too long Maybe it was a shared look where they looked at each other too long and there was this implied illicit promise. Maybe she shared something that was confidential and trust between just she and her husband and she shared it with him and a line, it kind of dissolved things a little bit. We don't know exactly what, but, but she crossed one line, then she crossed many lines and I'm guessing probably she didn't even notice when she crossed the lines at the time. And see, that's what the evil one does to you and me. When you and I cross lines, the evil one wants to put a haze in our minds where we're not even aware that we chose to cross the line. But let there be no mistake, she got here because she chose to cross the line. But once you cross the line, you cannot go back. And so she crossed enough lines where it became a full-blown affair. And at this point, I believe she enters a state of spiritual despair. But she's locked in these two different worlds. She has this world she's living in over here with her husband. And then she has this world she's living over here with this man or men. We're not exactly sure. And these two worlds, as long as they're separate, as long as it's a secret... And she's not even aware of the spiritual angst in which she's stuck. She tries not to think about how this is going to impact her kids. She tries not to think about how it could impact her friends. She tries not to think about really what it's doing 
to her mind and to her heart and to her soul. But believe me, it's doing something to her soul. It is. In your notes, first blind spot. Here's the truth about sin. Sin unchecked always leads to more sin. It always does. At one time, she was a truthful, honest person. The first time she lied to her husband about where she was going, her heart was pounding and she was probably blushing. Felt like that when she walked out the door, she didn't show up, that her husband probably could kind of see on her face the guilt, the discomfort, the remorse, and all that sort of things. But after a while, the more she did it, she became an expert at deceiving her husband and deceiving her children to the point that she did it knowing that no one would notice at all what she was doing. Then there's the first time she slept with the man. I'm thinking most likely she went to synagogue right after to hear the scriptures read. Because in that moment, she's feeling maybe a little bit of on the inside, and she walks in to worship, and the scriptures are read, and she just knows that everybody can see through her. Everybody knows. They can see the guilt on her face. They probably know exactly where she's been. She's sure that God is going to send a lightning bolt and strike her dead, that something bad's going to happen, and everybody's going to know. And so she cries out to God in her private prayer and says, God, I promise, I promise, I promise, I will never, ever go see that man again, ever. It's over. But nobody notices. Nobody figures it out. God doesn't send a lightning bolt. She's still alive. And it's like heaven is silent. It gets easier to go back over and over again. And the truth about her, this woman is becoming a hypocrite. We're over here, she pretends to be this, but in this world, the truth is she's really, really this. And she's stuck in this spiritual dysfunction and she's not even aware of what it's doing to her mind and her heart and her soul until this night right here in the scriptures when she's sleeping with this man. We don't know how many times. But what we do know on this night, this time, the door opens because some men had been outside waiting and watching. And they come in and they seize her. And she starts crying. She starts screaming. She starts begging for mercy. And if they would let her, she would just kill herself right now. She would just, she's so embarrassed. She's so humiliated. She would just kill herself right now. But they do not let her. They wrap her up in sheets and they carry her out the door. And all of a sudden, she figured out how she got here. She winds up looking into the mirror the truth about ourselves. And it's just like in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, Genesis 3 of the fall, 
that she becomes aware of her sin and she feels naked and ashamed. She feels humiliated. And all she wants to do is to run and to hide because now she knows the truth about herself and everybody else knows the truth too. And she feels sick. I want to push the pause button here just a second. When this woman came and looked in the mirror, she realized something. I know how I got here. It wasn't just one choice. It wasn't just two choices. It was the third choice and the fourth choice I chose. I am here because of the choices that I made. Naked, ashamed, I am not a victim. I chose. It's more complicated than that. Every relationship is. Her heart hurt. Her heart was wounded. She had a husband who refused to meet some needs within her. No doubt. No question. That's all fact and true. In any relationship, it's always both. But in this situation right here, she has to own that she chose to cross the line. Now, I know that some of you right now are wrestling with your own private sin. And right now you're feeling pretty uncomfortable. Maybe it's this sin right here we just read about in the scriptures. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's anger. You had this uncontrolling anger situation going on. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you're considering cheating on your taxes as April 15th draws near. You've gotten away with it once. You'll do it again. And you don't think anybody knows. And nobody will ever find out, especially the person sitting next to you right now. Some of you are not having a full-blown affair yet. But you're crossing lines. You know you are. A little flirtation here. Little social media post here, little catty comment there. So, just in case, just in case, just in case, as your pastor, as someone who loves you and really cares for you, I really, I, more than you realize, I really, really do, would you please leave this worship service and would you please put an end to it? Would you please stop it? Would you please make the call? Would you please go knock on the door and say, I'm done? Would you please end it? Would you please cut them off social media? Will you please do it? Will you please, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your well-being, for the sake of your soul, will you end it? Some of you perhaps are resting with some sort of sexual addictive behavior. Most of the time it's men, but it's not always men. Women have this problem increasingly as well. Maybe you are a business person. You just got on a business trip. 
and you spent the night in your room by yourself watching movies on a device that no one else could trace because it was the hotel's. And you watched it all night long. And you woke up feeling guilty. You went to work the next day feeling guilty. And the fact that I'm bringing it up right now, you're feeling guilty all over again right now because you know what nobody else does, not even your spouse or the person you're dating. Or maybe right now some of you are getting kind of uncomfortable because you have a, compu- you have a computer that was uh, given to you by the company and you know the company watches those things. They check the computer. They watch it. And you've been visiting websites. Maybe some of you, you get up in the middle of the night to be alone by yourself in your home. And you go to a private place within your house. And your spouse knows something is going on, but they don't want to know what's really going on, so they don't say anything. And you don't want them to know what's going on, so you don't say anything. But somebody gets up in the middle of the night. And you lie about it to cover up. And now it's Sunday morning and you're here in worship this morning. And people were singing and praising God and you wanted to sing and worship and praise God. But you couldn't because there was something, an angst in your soul that you know you are and you have been wrestling with and you cannot let it go. There is a habit. A habit something within your life that's got a hold of you. You name it. It could be so many things and it's keeping you from really fully living. Can I tell you something I know about any kind of habit like this? Generally, it doesn't go away by itself. You don't wake up all of a sudden and it's gone. It doesn't work that way. Here's a beginning point for some of you. We're going to have a mass confession right now. It's, it's Holy Week. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Please don't panic. This is not going to be just about sexual sin, okay? Oh, oh my gosh, I'm leaving right now. No, we're not doing that. If you have a habit in your life, have had a habit in your life that you have just, you've tried and tried and tried and you just can't whip it. You just can't overcome it. Will you please raise your hand, mass confession, as high as you can for God to see and everybody around. Can I, can I see a show of hands? And I will tell you, if you're not raising your hand right now, you might be a psychopathic neurotic. Because we all have something in our lives we cannot by our own willpower overcome. All of us. And the only way to overcome it is to step into the light, to stop being in the darkness, to step into the light and to confess it to God openly. God, this is the truth about me. I got a blind spot. I can't get past it. Or to confess it to a Christian counselor, confess it to a Christian friend, someone that loves you with agape love, that will hold it in confidence, but will help you overcome it. Because here's the truth in your notes. Here's, here's the numbers. Here's the truth. Here's the blind spot. I am not strong enough to handle the truth about me all by myself. You're not. If you keep it a secret, it will stay a secret and it will kill you. So back to the story. There's another reason this woman is standing for Jesus. There's a group of men 
who bring her into this courtroom setting. And I want you to notice right here in, in John chapter 8, verse 2, it says that Jesus, he is sitting down teaching. That's kind of an odd thing. Why, why, why does John point out that Jesus is sitting down to teach them? Now, now back in their day, it was, pretty, it was pretty common that the teacher would sit down on the ground. The teacher would sit down and teach, and the people would stand up. Now, in our day, I stand up and you sit down, or whoever's teaching, stand, you sit down. But the reason they did that was so that the teacher wouldn't get tired and could teach as long as they wanted to and never, give, and never get tired. So let's reverse this. I'm going to sit down the rest of the time so I can preach for two hours and you just stand up, okay? And we'll just see how, see how many of you stay, right? Yeah. It's in the Bible, so why, we, should, we should do what the Bible says, right? Now, that's not why they were doing that, okay? Here's the point they were making. This was not some confidential setting where Jesus is in an office and they bring this woman to Jesus' office to have a conversation, to help her, have a positive conversation to help her. This is in a public setting and they wanted to humiliate her because it really wasn't about the woman, it was about Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus. And if it meant humiliating her, if it meant just kind of hurting her, they could care less. They wanted to trap him. And right here in the scripture that it refers to, they asked Jesus, they asked him this question. They say, Jesus, 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 what do we, should we do with this woman? What should we do with her? But how'd they know what was going on? Because somewhere along the lines, these guys had been outside her window. And the scripture says the only way a woman right here can be tried of anything like this, Deuteronomy chapter 19, anybody of a crime, there has to be not just one witness, but two or three witnesses, at least two witnesses. So what does that tell us? That tells us not just one man, at least two we're standing outside her house watching. And my question is, how many men were there? How long did they watch? How many times did they watch until they took her to Jesus? In your notes, number three, I have an obligation to help someone stop if they're sinking into a life or slipping into a life of sin, but they don't do that. They just want to publicly humiliate this woman. They're not trying to help the woman. Notice the man's not there, even though the scripture says the man that's caught in the act, he's to be stoned to death too, but there's no man there. It's a double standard. The woman, she's just there to be used. She's bait. She, she's, just a, she's just kind of a foe out there to be used away, to discard. Who cares what happens to her? They didn't care. Their hearts were hard. They didn't care what happened to her at all. They just wanted to get Jesus, and they thought they had him. Because if Jesus says, hey, let her go, we'll say, well, he's soft on the law. He's just soft on the law. And if he says, stoner, the people will never forgive him for hurting and harming publicly this woman. 
And the Romans, they would actually say the only one who could decide for someone to be executed was us. A Jew can't execute someone. Only with, then he'd be in bad state with the Romans. They have Jesus exactly where they want him. He is trapped. And they all got their stones. They are ready. Judge and jury to. Before we judge and condemn those guys, could I ask you a question? And I ask you to ask yourself the question, verse 4, am I a stone thrower? Would you please ask yourself that question? Are you a stone thrower? Have you ever picked up a stone? Have you ever picked up a rock? Have you ever made a post on social media? Have you ever made a judgment? Did anybody come to worship this morning holding a rock in your hand? For a parent, for a mother-in-law or an in-law, for an ex-spouse that just won't, for a boss who doesn't seem to understand you, for somebody who works alongside of you who just is always bullying a thorn in your flesh, anybody? interesting little thing, this, this, this rock thing. I, I wonder, here, 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 here's what I wonder. I wonder about these guys that when they first started following God, I wonder if they had hard hearts or soft hearts. I wonder if they were just born with a, I don't think that's what happens. Here's what I think kind of happens. I think over time, the more that they started reading the Bible, and they got so proud about learning the Scripture, it's so filled with them pride. They feel so good about themselves because they knew the Scriptures better than anyone. And I think all their efforts in being obedient and diligent and righteous and doing the right thing filled them with this kind of disgust for somebody who couldn't always do it right. And I think their spiritual giftedness, their talents, just kind of made them overlook somebody else who wasn't as talented and wasn't as skilled. So much so, they just always had a rock in their hand to judge someone who wasn't as good as they thought was them. It's a funny thing about judgmentalism and pride and arrogance and moral superiority. I'm morally better than anybody. It's a funny thing of what it does to a person's heart. All of a sudden, the heart becomes hard as a rock. Seeing it happens lots of times. And I got to tell you, it's one of the things that I grieve about the church, and I wonder about it all the time, and it bothers me. It bugs me to no end. I love the church. Please believe me. Hear me. I love the church. I love being a pastor of of God's church. I love, I've been in the church my whole life. But the question I got to ask is, why does a church produce so many rock throwers? Why? Like I say, I've been around a lot of church people my whole life, and it just kind of happens. I've just seen it happen just after a while that some of them, some of them, it's not the whole truth, but the partial truth. It's not the whole truth. Again, it's not the whole but the partial truth. All of a sudden, their hearts kind of get cold, and they just kind of have this self-righteousness over everybody else, and 
They, they don't even love life. They don't even enjoy themselves. They don't dance. They don't laugh. They don't tell jokes. They don't tell stories. They don't seem to have fun. They don't embrace people that are different from them. Their heart is just kind of like this. And it seems like the only thing they really enjoy doing is passing judgment on other people and saying they're wrong and I'm right. And just... Interesting little thing about the story. Jesus confronts them and they had this conversation and he's really trying to tell them about this blind spot number five. Is here, guys, here's why you're doing this. Stone throwing it energizes you. Stone throwing energizes me. I think that's why we, we, we just do it, right? We, it just energizes me. You know, you're, you come to worship, you come to church, you see a kid acting up. You know, you see a kid that a parent can't handle their kid, and you, 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 oh, you pick up a stone. You see a marriage went awry, their marriage ain't going well. You hear stories, you pick up a rock. The music minister or the band leader, they pick a song that you don't like, and they sing it too loud, and you pick up a rock. Somebody comes to church, they're not dressed properly. They dress differently than you. They sit in your seat. They act differently. They violate a rule. They don't stand up. They don't sit down. All of a sudden, you start picking up rocks because you get energy. It kind of it kind of gives you a juice. You get an adrenaline rush to it. That's a part of our sinful nature. It's a part of our brokenness. So there they stand. They stand there. These they got, they got their rocks in hand. They stand. They're ready to cast them. They're ready to throw them. And they say, the woman's right there. And Jesus says, they say to him, Jesus, what do you say? That's what they say in the scripture. Jesus, what do you say? We caught her in the act. We caught her. What do you say? And I love the story. I love it. Jesus kneels down and he starts drawing in the dirt. He pulls a Columbo. That's exactly what he does. Peter Fox, he Peter Fox him. He's just Columbo. And he just pays like he didn't know what they're doing. He's riding and everything like that. But they don't give up. Notice what the scripture says. It says they continually ask him, Jesus, hey, you're the rabbi. You're the guy in charge. Come on, tell us what should we do? And the scripture says he stands up and he says, go ahead and start. She broke the law. But tell you what, how about you that's without sin? You go first. And then Jesus, he goes back down here and he just keeps on riding. I know it drove him crazy, you know. And it drives some of you crazy when you read that. You know, what? What was he riding? What was he riding? Maybe it was the Ten Commandments. Maybe it was a sermon on the mount. Maybe it was their sins. We don't know. But one by one, they drop their sin, they drop their stones, and they start falling away. And here's why. Number six, when I judge others, I judge myself before a holy and sinless God. Here's the truth about you and me. I can see your sin. But I can't see my sin. 
unless I get honest and look in the mirror and ask God to show me and really tell me the truth about me. But now they know the truth. They're not these champions for God. There's not these self-righteous, holier-than-thou. They're nothing but a mean, little, spirited, arrogant, prideful bunch of kids on the playground who like to throw rocks at people to hurt them. Because that's what rock throwers do. They just hurt people. It makes them feel better when other people hurt. Does anybody here need to let go of a stone this morning? Does anybody have a rock you need to drop? Against a family member? Against a neighbor? Against a friend? If you do, it may require some sort of action connected to it. It may be that if you've been someone who's been gossiping about somebody else, you go to them, you drop your rock, and you go and you apologize to them. It may be if you have been in a tip with someone and you've just been like this at each other, you go to them and you say, hey, let's make this. You drop your stone. Let's go make this right. And I challenge you and I ask you to put action to your conviction this morning. Because here's what I know. In the community of faith of people who say they're followers of Jesus, there's no place for rock throwers. There's no place at all. We don't throw stones at each other because we are a family. We're not a courtroom. And could I say just something real gently and lovingly and as kindly as I can to all my Joshua friends who find themselves in a turmoil right now in the community because of the schools and everything. And if you don't know, excuse me, you can go find out. I, I just, I just want to please, wherever you are on this issue, this is a time for Christians to practice what they believe about their faith. Students, teachers, parents, administrators, school board if it turns into a courtroom where people have rocks you're no longer a family and everybody loses in a courtroom please hear me everybody loses in a courtroom and it's not the people of God so we finish up the story like this you look at verse 9, the only one there, they, draw, they all drop their stones. They all drop their stones. They all go away. It's just Jesus and the woman. And I know the woman's thinking, Jesus now, he's the only one. It's going to happen now. Maybe he's going to throw a stone at me because he's the only one without sin. But that's not what happens. Jesus asks her a question, and the question is, women, where are they? Women, where are they? And here's what he is really saying. Hey, woman, is there anybody here who hasn't sinned? Hey, is there anybody who can hear my voice? Anybody not sin? Silence. Hey, say, hey, I want you to know this, lady. Uh, the reason 
they left is because that you and them are the same. Broken and sinful. And their moral superiority doesn't make them any better than you. You're both in the same boat. Where are they? And she says, is anybody here? And she says, no one. Not no one, sir. She says, no one, Lord. Really, the right response is no one, Lord. And really, in that moment, she was saying yes to Jesus. Now you are my Lord. It was a moment of faith for her that I have hope for my life. This could be a moment of faith for you. And then Jesus says something to her. He says, now go, go and sin no more. Neither, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you either. He said, no one, sir, then neither do I condemn you. And here's what he's saying, the implied question. How would you like a divine do-over? How would you like to start over? How would you like for your new life to begin right now? How would you like for the past to be gone? How would you like that? How would you like that? And the woman understood what he was saying. I'm going to die, he said, so you can live. How would you like for this old sinful woman of yours who'd done all these wrong things, how would you like for that person to go away and for you to have a divine do-over? A total brand new life. How would you like to have that? Is there anybody here who would like to have a divine do-over? You'd like to have a brand new start. This is the church of the divine do-over. Where all the rocks get dropped. Nobody's throwing them. Because we all are in the same boat. And some of you know that. Because you came to Pathway Church from a failed marriage where you betrayed and you hurt somebody. You came here with an addiction. You came here an angry person. You came here tired of legalism. And you came here and you experienced God's grace. And you've had a fresh start. And there are other people who need a fresh start just like what you've had. Next weekend's Easter. On Easter weekend, I'm going to do my very best, very clear to explain a divine do-over. And the thing that drives it and identifies it is baptism after you make that declaration of I want to do over. And next weekend, Easter, we're going to invite people to, who understand that and say, I want to be baptized. And the next weekend, we're just going to have baptisms that's going to just blow the socks off this place. I just can't wait to see what God's going to do. Because I don't care how smart you are, how healthy or wealthy you are, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs a do over. So I'm asking you to invite your friends and family with you on Easter. Invite you, ask you to do that. So they can experience what this woman experienced. But notice the end. <laughs> this is so important. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Woman, you can't go back to this man can't go back to this habit you can't do it to your husband you can't do it to your kids you can't do it to me 
You can't do it to your friends. You got to get up and you got to go over here and you got to begin a new way of living. That's called repentance in your notes. Grace is the final thing. Grace. Grace does not eliminate my need to repent. Grace gives me the power to repent. She still had so much pain to go through. She had to go to her lover and say, We're done. She had to go to her husband and say, Will you forgive me? She had to go to her kids and say, We just need to talk. Talk about heart. Had no idea how that's going to go. Here's what we do know. And when she called Jesus, Lord, she had a friend. And she wasn't doing it by herself. And she had a friend whose name was Jesus. And you can have that same friend. His sin, your sin became his sin. And your death became his death. He died in your place so you might live in his place. Anybody need that? God, right now, I pray for those that are in this place, for those that are online, for those that are in, in the crossing, for those at the bridge, for those in the sanctuary. Just right now, God, if there's anyone here who just needs to drop a stone, if there's anyone here who needs just a divine do-over, that you would meet them right where they are. Just reach out and touch their soul. And if this is you, if this is you, you're ready, please let us know. We want to pray with you. We want to help you take that next step of baptism on the Sunday after Easter. It's going to be awesome. We'd love for you to be a part of that. And God, just bring healing to their family. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you walk out the doors of the building today, you're going to get this rock. You're going to get a rock. I want you to take this rock, and I want you to write on it the people you need to forgive, the habits you cannot break. Just write on it. Fill it up. And bring it, bring it back with you on Good Friday, and we're going to lay it down at the foot of the cross. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.